Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Fitness and wellness expert, naturopath, and adventure enthusiast, Wendy Peck. And my husband, Todd Isburner. He's a fundraising guru, men's mentor, and Bible scholar. And as a couple, we're going to share riveting breakthrough stories from our guests who've experienced the meaning of a changed life. Our hope is that you will be inspired, equipped, and entertained along your own life journey. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Welcome, welcome to another episode. Todd and Wendy with you. And uh, we are really, really charged up about today's episode because this is going to be a story unlike probably something you have never heard before. And I promise you, there is going to be a a, a rainbow at the end of the story. So I want you to hang in there and really lean in and listen well today. It's been a crazy, crazy year. And I know that's sort of like the main topic around the around the whole community, right? It's everybody talking about what happened this year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different. The new norm isn't norm at all. And it will, but but remember back like in January, (laughs) February of 2020, when it was when everything seemed pretty cool, pretty normal. And all of a sudden, wham, the bottom drops out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's affected everybody in different ways. You and I have been affected a little bit and we're not on the road as much. And that would be true for our guests as well. But some people have gone through some extraordinarily tough times. Yeah. And disappointing, right? Mm, disappointing yeah. times. It's kind of those missed expectation mm, uh, moments. Yeah. Like you expect to to go to a graduation or or attend a wedding mm. or or go on a trip or whatever the, the situation is. And it's just those disappointments. Well, we want to address uh, some things that we think will help you get new perspective. And I don't know, in fact, maybe you're listening today and you've been in a place where things have seemed to be relatively normal, even in spite of what's gone on this year. In fact, maybe for you, things are even better than what you could have imagined. But then all of a sudden, it's like the bottom drops out. You are slammed to the ground with something that was so unexpected, like it doesn't even seem real. Like, how's this even possible? So I guess the question is, what do you do? Yeah, when yeah. it's out of your control and and the circumstances are just so out of this world, you, you yeah. just don't know how to handle it. So how do you fix it? Yeah. What do you do? Maybe you can't fix it. And you're wondering, is there any end to this? And and where are you going to be able to find the hope and the strength needed to handle what for you is the impossible? And is there any way at all to find anything good in something that is so bad it has such lifelong consequences. Right. Well, today's guest went through something so devastating mm. that it's beyond what you can imagine, yeah. beyond. But they're going to share with you how they came out on the other side, not just surviving what happened, but using their experience to bring hope and perspective to others who are suffering. And so I'm going to read their bio right now as we welcome them in. But it's Jean and Carol Kent, and they are the founders of Speak Up Ministries. Carol is an international speaker and has written more than 25 books, including the best-selling When I Lay My Isaac Down and A New Kind of Normal. They host the annual Speak Up Conference, equipping the next generation of Christian writers and speakers. They also founded Speak Up for Hope. It's a nonprofit organization that benefits inmates and their families. With that, I'd like to welcome Carol and Jean Kent. How are you? We're well. Hey, we're Thank you for inviting us, Wendy and Tom. Oh. This is really a treat. What yeah. a gift to have you on. Thank you. And I'm just going to be right up front and say these guys have been friends of mine for a long time, even though we haven't stayed in touch, but we met. Do you know how many years ago it was that we met? I was just trying to figure that out. I'm thinking it's in the 80s, uh, maybe early 90s. 
I think you're right. I think it's around 30 plus <laughs> yeah. years. Uh, we yeah. were young, Todd. Yeah. We were very young. <laughs> you're say. still young. You're still young. Weren't we just out of high school? I think Todd had shoulder length hair back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was called a, that was called a mullet, is what they were. <laughs> yeah. It goes back a ways. You know, it's been a, just a, a delight to sort of from the outside looking in to see what God has done in your lives. Um and I, I mean, I have to say that in the very beginning, uh, when I first met you guys, you really like you're the power couple. Uh, you and your son JP were like the like the model family. Uh, and then what I'm saying is really true. You were well known in your community, and people looked up to you. And uh, you didn't just get that way overnight. You had a beginning somewhere along the way. So we'd like each of you to just take a few minutes to share with our audience uh, where did it all start for you in terms of your journey of faith and. And, and and how you grew to where you are today. Well, Todd, I actually came to know the Lord through Christian radio. And I was five years old and I was listening to the unshackled radio broadcast. And they reenact the stories of people who've had significant life changes. And I turned to my mother when the program was over and I said, Mama, I am such a sinner. Do you think Jesus would come into my heart? <laughs> and she recognized uh, the Holy Spirit's dealing with me and she got the Bible and and uh, she read that verse from Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I knew that was true. I was one of those kids who stared at my parents through the bars of the crib as if to say, how soon can I get out of here and take control? Control of this household. And uh, that day, she reminded me of what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose again and how he had paid the price for my sin. And with my mother by my side, I got on my knees and invited Jesus into my life. But Jean has a very different story. Hey, Todd and Wendy, I met yeah. Carol in the ninth grade in the little town that I grew up in Michigan. Her father's first church, he was a pastor. And he went into ministry a little later in life when she was 14 years old. So I met her in the ninth grade in a little town in uh, called Durand, Michigan, which is a little railroad town. My father worked on the railroad. My mom worked in a, bat in a plant that made car batteries. We were just a normal middle class family. But mom and dad never went to church. They sent us boys. I'm the oldest of three down the street to a church. But I never heard the gospel. And uh, so I just knew Carol from school. Uh, we didn't do anything together, but when I was in the 11th grade, my father had an ulcer and he was hospitalized. Carol's dad made hospital calls, talked to my dad, and happened to stop in the room my dad was in and invited him to church. And so we started attending the small church that Carol's father was pastoring. Carol was there. And she even played the piano back then. <laughs> hey, there were 48 people in the first congregation, and seven of them were in our family. Oh. <laughs> Dad was very strict. He had five daughters and one son, and he had said there will be no dating of non-Christians for my five daughters. Well, that's a problem. Wendy, imagine this. We were in a very small town in a very tiny church with eight girls in the youth group and two guys. One of them was so unattractive. You prayed he wouldn't ask you out. And the other one was so drop dead gorgeous, you could get killed in the stampede of women trying to get <laughs> one. So when mom and dad came home and told me that Jean Kent had just become a Christian after my mother and dad made this call in their house and shared the gospel with them, I got motivated because there was now a third candidate for dating. Wow. Wow. Okay. That is adorable. <laughs> so Jean, had, had you Jean didn't have a chance. Had, <laughs> had you noticed Carol um, prior to receiving the Lord? I just knew her from school, but I didn't notice her as far as having a romantic relationship with. I just, wanted to, I, just, I, just, I just wanted to check your motives yes. in terms of your commitment to the Lord. <laughs> but at the, at the end of our senior year in high school, for some reason, my vision changed and, <laughs> and she really took my vision, especially with that red hair, you know, and you know that, yeah. hey, there's something going on there. And so all that summer, we started uh, seeing each other a lot, not just at yeah. church, but uh, otherwise. We both went to college for the next four years, graduated uh, the last three years. We went to the same school together. So we just got to know each other a whole lot more. And really that going to school together the last three years, we went to one of those very, very conservative Christian colleges where we could not kiss, we could not even hold hands. 
And so all we could do was talk. Now, in hindsight, that was really good because we talked about a lot of things about what we envisioned the future for, for the two of us and what we, what we were thinking about as far as marriage. And so we, we really settled a lot of those issues early on, even before we got married. And then upon graduation, we got married. With no money and lots of love. And I do want to know, I still get a thrill out of holding hands. (laughs) That's so sweet. I mean, you guys literally kind of grew up together, not Mm. just um, from childhood to adulthood, but also within your physical or your spiritual walk. Mm. Um, I think that's beautiful. Well, learning to become friends first before going into marriage. I mean, nothing could be more advantageous than that, right? Right. So the fact you could kind of talk things out as you looked ahead and then plan for marriage. So, all right. So just fast forward a little bit. You, you got married, you graduated from college. Um, and then what direction did life go? Well, five years after we married, I gave birth to Jason Paul Kemp. We call him JP. And he was a little boy with a twinkle in his eye. He had so much spirit. And uh, he really did a whole lot of things that made us extremely happy. He was uh, so involved in his church youth group as he got into high school. In between his sophomore and junior years of high school, he went off to Manitou Springs, Colorado to Summit Ministries. And uh, he really was there in a Christian camp setting. And he came home with renewed spiritual vigor. He said, Mom and Dad, I really believe that God wants me to serve in military and maybe even in political leadership. And I believe the best place I could get equipped to do that would be at the U.S. Naval Academy. And he made Mm. application to all three of the academies, received an early invitation to become a cadet at West Point. But Jason wanted to hold out for Annapolis. And he finally received the appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy. And we were there in May of 19. 1997, when on national television, all of those midshipmen tossed their hats in the air, and we celebrated our young son's accomplishments. And Todd, you know, I was, of course, the perfect father. You know, I'd read all of the Jim Dobson books <laughs> on raising kids, and uh, we used to run together. We lived in Port Huron, Michigan when he was growing up, and that's where we first met you many years ago, I think, in Port yeah, Huron. Absolutely. When he went to the Naval Academy, I you know, was living vicariously through my son, just uh, the excitement of Annapolis and seeing what was taking place as they molded uh, men and women to um, serve the United States in the Navy and in the Marines. And our son graduated then in 97, and his first assignment was to uh, go to nuclear engineering school, which was in Orlando. And when he was in Orlando, he went to a great church there that had about 300 young people in a Bible study session. And uh, for some reason, our son got really, really interested in Bible study. And there were girls in there, too. So we think uh, girls had something to do with that because he called. Like father, like son. Uh (laughs) Because he called us up and said, uh, after we came home late from an event in uh, Denver and saying that, April and I are in love and we want to get married next Friday. Well, that kind of took my breath away because our only Uh child was asking to marry a previously married woman with two little girls next Friday. And uh, I really had apprehension about this. I didn't know much about her background. Didn't uh, you'd never met her, had never met her. And uh, they want to marry instantly. Listen, I gotta, I gotta back it up for just a second though, because because I mean, seriously, that when when I met you, I think JP was like a senior in high school or something. Yes, yes. And and my first impression was, oh Lord, if I could turn back the clock, I'd want to be just like him. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, just just an impressive young man. Um, so here is the um, again quote the, the the perfect family, or at least going through some pretty good times together as a family. And uh, for both of you who are planners and go getters, and Gene, you had a successful was insurance sure, business, I believe, at the sure. time. Yeah, um, I, I'm guessing that when you get a call like that, <laughs> that's like that's like getting blindsided, yeah. isn't it? How did you handle that? Especially with your only child, right? Yeah. Like, wait a minute, I have all these yeah. plans of this big wedding, and how? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, as Carol would describe it, I'm sort of the boring one. 
But uh, I would. <laughs> now, would no, you no, no, no. He's the steady one. Steady the one. Steady uh, one. But I was able. I was able, <laughs> way to flip it. Way to flip it. <laughs> I was able to uh, talk to April and Jason on the phone while Carol was praying, asking God, "What is happening here?" And we finally got agreement that they would wait three weeks and get married in Port Huron, where we live. And we would have them the uh, accountability of family and friends and relatives and all of that. And they got married then. And we became instant grandparents to a little three-year-old and a six-year-old. Well, and I have to say, a week and a half after we asked if they would be married in Port Huron and wait those three weeks until they actually sealed the deal, uh, this little family came into our lives. And six-year-old Chelsea and three-year-old Hannah were adorable. And a half hour after they came in, little Chelsea came running up to me. She grabbed my hand in hers. She kissed all over it. And she said, you you're my new favorite Grammy. And little Hannah would sit at my kitchen counter and sing songs about how much she loved Jesus in between her bites of cereal. And then these little girls discovered my closet. And once given permission, they dove in and they found long skirts and stiletto heels and beads and scarves. And they were little ballerinas and they would put music on and they would twirl and, and just sing. And then they gave Gene a new name. They started calling him the Gramster. Now, I think that's a <laughs> between a hamster and a grandfather. We're never really sure where in the continuum he falls, but they would say, Gramster, Gramster, we're all dressed up. Please take us on a date. And uh, so needless to say, these little girls were a very important part of our house very quickly. Mm. They stole your heart. Quick. Oh, they did. And we discovered that April had been married at the age of 16 to a man 10 years her senior, uh, a man who had multiple allegations of abuse against him involving not only our daughter-in-law, but also the little girls. And uh, we, we realized what a precious little family they were about to become. And uh, we had a beautiful wedding on a picture perfect day. And we were looking forward to seeing this little family thrive. Well, I can just hear the, the, the joy and the pride oozing out of you guys and the compassion uh, for yeah. April and what she had been through and the, the, the willingness to be used of God to really open up your arms and your heart and bring this family now as part of your family. And not be judgmental. And, yeah, you know, I think that's yeah. beautiful. So I'm, I'm guessing during that season, you guys were like higher than a kite. You had so many good things going on. Um, advance the story for us. What happened next? You know, that first year of their marriage, Carol and I had a great time in just talking with them on the phone and talking about what the future may hold. And I remember, you know, we Port Huron's right there next to the uh, St. Clair River. I remember Carol and I just walking along the river and the in the fall and looking at all the colorful trees. And we just uh, said to each other, does life get any better than this? And two weeks later, we had come back from a speaking engagement in St. Louis. It was a Sunday night, we were sound asleep and I heard the phone ring. I remember looking at the clock, it said 12.35 a.m. I saw Gene grab the receiver and then I saw a look of shock and horror come over his face. And he pulled the receiver away from his ear and he said, Carol, Jason has just been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. He's in the jail in Orlando. Well, I had never been in shock before. I had nausea sweep over me. I tried to get out of bed and my legs would not hold my weight. I crawled my way into my office and still on the floor, I grabbed the phone. I finally got a number for the Orlando jail. And when someone eventually answered and I asked about Jason, a rude voice on the other end of the line answered, lady, we ain't got nobody by that name. Jason can't in here. Lady, your son ain't here. And uh, Wendy and Todd, for a moment, my hopes returned. I thought maybe this was a horrific nightmare and I would wake up and everything would be okay. But as hour followed hour, the facts of the case were confirmed. Our son had pulled up a trigger in a public parking lot and a man had died. And we began our journey to what we call our new kind of normal. I just have chills at my arms. Yeah, I, I, I do too. Tears because... in my eyes. I, I... I have one son myself. Mm -hmm. I just can't <clears throat> imagine. Yeah. yeah. And and there may be some who are listening and the, the mm -hmm. unexpected, the unthinkable occurred to them. 
And they're still not sure how they got through it. Maybe some are still going through it and trying to recover from something like that. So you had this initial shock set in. And uh, obviously, you're still trying to sort through the circumstances of what happened and why and all of that. Um, what happened over the next following two weeks uh, in particular? Because that's a... How did you process uh, it? Uh, what mm-hmm. did you do with each other and in the, in the whole situation? How did you process that? And were you angry at God through the process? That was a very difficult time. You know, for the next three, four days, we didn't sleep. You know, when, when something really traumatic happens to you, your emotions are so on edge. And when you try to sleep, you can't, or you might sleep for five minutes and then you wake up and it just comes all uh, racing back to you. I start, I got my Bible out. You know, it, it was like nothing prepared us for this. And, uh, you know, we had Bible classes in college and I was an English major, but, and we had chapel and we had uh, lots of um, pastors over the years. But really, nothing much had prepared us for this. So I got my Bible out. I remember that that next morning, and I just started reading through the scriptures again. And I got stuck in Genesis, and I came to a passage in Genesis 28, and it just talks about Jacob, where he's you know out camping, and uh, and he has a dream at night, and he sees a ladder going up to heaven, and he sees angels going up and down that ladder, and then Genesis 28:16 says. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And I immediately ran out into the living room to show Carol that I don't know what this means other than God is here with us. We know that from our Christian experience, from what the scriptures say, and the scripture says it right here, that God is with us in the midst of this. Well, and and Jacob is so aware of the fact that there is more going on in the visible and in the invisible worlds than he's ever been aware of before. And we came to understand that when God seems the most absent, he is indeed the most present. But I I just want to say to everybody who might be listening to our voices today, uh, we grieved, we sobbed. I mean, it is okay to pour out your sorrow before the Lord. Uh, It's it's even okay with God if you get mad at him. You know, (laughs) I, I remember being a teenager who lived for the Lord. I didn't go through a period of rebellion like a lot of people have as a part of their testimony. And I remember saying, Lord, I commit my life to you. I want to live a life that will ultimately uh, do something that will further your kingdom agenda. And I commit myself to that. I'm yours. I put my yes on the table and the bottom dropped out of our lives. And so sometimes we feel like God is unfair and we feel disappointed in God. And I love the fact that when we go through those times, and uh, for those listening, it might not be a child being arrested for a, a heinous crime, but it might be watching your child walk away from every principle you ever taught them, or it might be a marriage that falls apart, or a financial crisis, or a health issue, or a pandemic, <laughs> as we're going through right now. But but we so understand that it's okay with God if we tell him our sorrow. And we think of David pouring out his sorrow before the Lord. And I I love the fact that because God is present everywhere, he has time to hear us out, even when we are in great pain. So beautiful, Carol. And I think about when you put your yes on the table, as you mentioned, your yes looked different than God's yes. And I think that we get hung up on that as just human beings, right? Because we have an anticipation of what our life is supposed to look like as we are serving Him. (laughs) And when it doesn't look like how we thought it was going to look, all of a sudden we think, well, wait a minute, what did I do wrong? Hmm. Um, And so... Yeah, Yeah, so you bring up a really good point. So did were you asking why at all? I mean, you were so grounded in your faith and God had revealed something in His Word but did that did that question come up and did it you know did it ever get answered <laughs> yes we asked ourselves why you know and there's there's lots of answers to those kinds of why questions and one answer is maybe we need to learn something in this circumstance uh, we were learning things more things about ourselves and about our relationship with god and our relationship with our son and and circumstances we can't control everything you know and we as 
as believers, we love controlling life. Um, many of us do anyway. And uh, Carol and I are both, both firstborns. And um, I was in sales. And so, you know, I needed to control what I could control. But we we found ourselves in a circumstance we couldn't control what was happening around us. And the enemy would come, come at me with uh, little taunts. Like, if you had been a better mother this would not have happened. Or if you had read your Bible more consistently and prayed more fervently, this would not have happened. And then uh, and then the enemy really did attack my birth order, which is firstborn obsessive compulsive controller perfectionist. Uh, and said, <laughs> she is all about If you had been less busy, you could have fixed this problem before it started. Lies, lies, lies. lies. And I think How did you have. counter that, Carol? How did you counter that? I think the only way we can counter it is with the truth. And the truth is always in God's word. But I I have to tell you, one of the things that I have done since all of this happened is that I began to uh, have my devotions in a new way. And I I would try to read the Bible and my eyes would cloud with tears. And uh, I was used to, you know, I I could get through a chapter fast. Why, I was a speech major. Uh, My master's is in communication arts. I can get this thing together and cover this scripture. And I would find that my mind was so discombobulated with all of this stress that probably the most I could make it through at a time was one verse. And I started concentrating on one verse at a time. And then I would say, Lord, what are you speaking into my life as a result of this scripture? <laughs> and then I would write out what felt like his prayer over my life based on that scripture. And I actually wrote a devotional uh, a couple of years ago called He Holds My Hand, 365 days of just looking verse after verse and saying, Lord, what is your prayer over my life for today? And it became the most precious uh, intimacy that I have ever had with the Lord. And I don't think I ever would have taken the time to do that had uh, the bottom not dropped out of our lives. Uh, Jean can, can share more. We went through two and a half years and seven postponements of Jason's trial. That was a very long time to wait for resolution. We were surrounded with people that uh, loved us and helped support us. And in the book, uh, When I Lay My Isaac Down, we call them uh, stretcher bearers, you know, that's based upon mm. the uh, the verses in Matthew talking about, you know, the men who, who brought the invalid to Jesus on a stretcher and lowered their... Jesus was so crowded about, they lowered him down through the roof, and and Jesus healed him. And so we had a number of people who came around us and uh, helped encourage us in the midst of it all. My best friend in Port Huron was a Christian counselor. So we had breakfast every morning for, I bet, 15 years, you know, when this thing first occurred. And um, so we would just talk together. So we got we had lots of support. Praise God. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's just a reminder that you know man is not to live life alone. We are to be in community and that's yeah. one of the reasons why is so that we can get through um unforeseen circumstances and I think it's beautiful that you had that support. Well, I think it's beautiful too that you took that experience and as you learned you, you tried to extract from it as much as you could not just for your personal growth and I'm sure this didn't occur to you in the beginning but that your story and the way you went through this could also be of help to others who are suffering and not quite sure you know how to turn things around and the result of it was a book when how how long after that incident happened that you put that book together, When I Lay My Isaac Down, a best-selling book, by the way. It's just filled with all kinds of encouragement and hope. But so how long How long afterwards? Because I'm guessing you still were processing and learning. And Oh, for sure. I, and in the beginning, it's too emotional to write about. You have to live through some of the journey before you can write about it. And it took me four years to really begin writing. And that whole process until that book was eventually written and released was five years from the time of Jason's arrest. So uh, then he was already in prison when it was released. 
And I included a Bible study in it because I feel like so many people are in hard places and they don't know what to do. And uh, the reason it's called When I Lay My Isaac Down is because Abraham had to relinquish what he loved most to the God who loved his son even more than he did. And uh, I, I just remember uh, go, getting the, the news and Jean was in Florida and I was still pulling the, the rest of the finances together for what felt like buying another house to pay for Jason's defense and the, and the phone rang. And it was a digitized call from the, from the jail at that time asking if I would accept a call. And when I did, it was Jason and he was sobbing. He said, mom, I've just been jumped by 10 inmates. They were kicking me and kicking me in the head. He said, uh, I, I, I've been kicked in the ear. He said, both of my two front teeth have been broken off. He said, I'm really busted up. They stole all of my stuff except for my Bible. And then he choked back a sob. And he said, but mom, the corrections officers took me to the faith-based part of the jail after the beating. And he said, mom, those men were like Jesus. He said, they washed my wounds. They prayed over me. They gave me a clean t-shirt. They, they, they loved me like Jesus would, mom. And, and then I heard the click of that call telling me my time was up, 15 minutes, and it's over. You're done. And I remember hearing this guttural wail come out of the depths of my being. And I just raised my hands, palm side up. I said, God, I cannot do this journey. I cannot watch my son suffer like this. Please, Lord, take me home to be with you. I cannot do this. And I think there are so many times in our lives when we tell God something has happened to someone we love or, or to our situation or due to an addiction or, or maybe something has happened that uh, is an accident that totally changes your life. You feel like you cannot do this. And we need to be like Abraham saying, God, I give to you what I cannot control. And so when I lay my Isaac down is really on those steps of, of choosing relinquishment and releasing to God what we can no, no longer be in charge of. And it's some, for some of us, it's like prying our fingers open because control is hard to give up. But that's what I needed to do with my son. Well, amen, sister. Mm -hmm. Preach it is all I can say. Preach yeah. it, preach it. Um, I, I was thinking about the title of the book and, of course, um, laying an, your Isaac down. I think sometimes um, when it's your child, it's obvious, um, probably for most <laughs> parents, that your Isaac could be your child because that's just we just love our children so much. But do you ever find when you're working with um, individuals or couples or that um, – that sometimes people don't understand or know what their Isaac is? I do. And, and I, I work as a Christian public speaker. And so I meet a lot of people around the country who will tell me, can you explain that to me a little bit more clearly? And I think if we were to really define what an Isaac is, it's someone or something that means so much to us that to let go of a of it would cause us pain. And often that is in the form of a child or a spouse, someone you dearly love. And uh, there, there's something that happens. It, it could be death. It could be divorce. It could be separation. It could be, uh, you know, a ministry situation that is tearing your hearts apart. But an Isaac can be many, many things. Could even be your that idolatry of of a, of a career, right? Yes. Oh yeah. yes, for sure. But uh, once we let go and we say, Lord, I'm no longer in control, you are, I think we need to listen up and we need to read God's word and we need to listen to people who hang out with God and, uh, and read his word and know what they're talking about because we need wise counsel. And I like to tell people, you may not have had a whole team of what we call our stretcher bearers, like we did, people who prayed for us and responded to monthly email updates on what our needs were. But if you have even one person to share your heart with, to pray with you, to listen to you, uh, that means everything. And we discovered it was the people who listened more than talked, who were the best 
friends to have close to us. You know, some came with advice and there were people who came into our home, threw an arm around us and said, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And part of us just knocked their eyes out (laughs) because they weren't in our situation. But those people who simply came and held us and wept with us were the ones who ministered the most. You know, a a couple of very practical things that, that I'm observing as you're talking about this that, that can really be takeaways is one, and for both of you, your immediate response to an unexpected tragedy was to dive into the word and to seek God, knowing you might not get all the answers, but at least you'll get perspective to be able to go through what you had to go through. So getting into the word of God, like first priority. And he spoke. Uh, I mean, he revealed he what, did. what a, G a, needed to hear and, yeah. and to share with Carol. Yeah, God great. is reliable to strengthen you and give you perspective. But but a second thing was then this just this whole idea of community and surrounding yourself right. with the right people who could love you and support you. That is so key. It's such practical advice. A third thing that I heard, you didn't expand on it, but you had to learn how to be patient. You couldn't get resolution. You couldn't get what you needed overnight. I mean, it was five years later where you started you know, to write the book, but all the time you know, that it takes to go through something like that. Oftentimes we, we underestimate it. We want a shortcut. Yeah. And I think the reality picture is you have to teach yourself the discipline of being patient. And then, and then lastly, and this applies to every one of us every single day in every situation and that is the surrender, putting whatever it is up there on the altar every single day. That's the key to living free. So great advice, you guys. And even as you say that, uh, Todd, it doesn't mean when we surrender, whatever it is that we're surrendering, whether it's our career or it's our spouse or it's our child or whatever it might be, it doesn't mean that God's going to take it away from us. But it just we're just saying to God that I want your best for my life, for my son's life, for my career, for our future, for my marriage. And we're in agreement with God that he can do whatever. You know, one of the one of the things we found too was when we started talking about our journey and being transparent about it, it helped put our life in perspective. You know, we tried to be as open as we could in telling people what happened. And as soon as we did that, people would come to the book table, people would talk to us afterwards, people would send us emails, they would call on the phone and people would just share the problems that they're going through. And it was so good for Carol and myself because when we heard some of those stories, we wouldn't change our story for some of their stories. It was, you know, there's just difficult things that go on in life. And we, we don't have really good answers for why they're allowed other than the sin factor. You know, something we don't talk much about as society, but why Jesus died, right? <laughs> You know, one one more thing that I think is so important in this discussion is to encourage all of our listeners to choose vulnerability when they're going through hard times. I was a Bible study fellowship teaching leader, and one of the women who had been in my class came to me one day after I began sharing out loud what had happened, which took me a while. She said, Carol, I used to think you were perfect, but now I think we could be friends. And I think we need to remember people relate to us in our weakness so much more than they do in our strength. And so if we can just be the real deal, it opens them up to sharing their stories, which is what we try to do through the Speak Up Conference and training people to write and tell their stories. So that that's really what we do with our lives now. We encourage others to speak up about their hurt, their pain, their spiritual growth, uh, where they've blown it, where they're doing well. And uh, we work together on being able to express that in a way that can help others. So I love healthy. that. I love yeah. what you guys um, mm. are doing and and what God has allowed to uh, be birthed out of your mm-hmm. pain. And um, because you, I mean, stories reveal and stories heal. That's what we say through your biggest breakthrough. And that's one of the reasons we have this podcast is for people like you to share your story. And that's what you're helping people do is to have the courage and understand the authenticity of sharing their story. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Um, I I do want to kind of segue here um, because as you have gone through this time, and I know that Jason is still incarcerated and it's been how many years? 
21 years now. His sentence was life in prison without parole. And in some places that means 20 years, but in the state of Florida, it means life in prison, period. Hmm. There is no parole. You can work on clemency, but clemency is a political problem. And the last time they showed clemency on a murder case was about 55 years ago in the state of Florida. Wow. Wow. Well, as as you guys have, have are living this reality. Um, I know that over the last 21 years, it's it's been an interesting journey within your marriage as a couple, right? And so you've yeah. recently written a book called Staying Power uh, with um, uh, some co-authors, Cindy and David Lambert. And so um, I really want to talk a little bit about that book because I know that it kind of is, is that next level, that next phase of this journey that you've been on and allowing God to strengthen your relationship with Him, with your son, with each other. And so this book shares a lot about that. But one of the things is all about um, forgiveness is is the glue, right? The glue that holds a lot of marriages together. Mm. And so I want you to explain how important forgiveness is and why it's so hard for some couples, especially if they've gone through a traumatic experience. Well, I think with forgiveness, one of the things we need to remember is that when we forgive our spouse for whatever they've done that's been offensive or hurtful or even abusive, we are not negating the wrong that was done, but we are setting ourselves free from bitterness and resentment, and we are allowing ourselves to go in a new direction. We've been freely forgiven by God, and when we can forgive someone who has wronged us, especially when that's the person you are married to, it, it frees you in a way mentally and spiritually like nothing else does. And so, you know, this book is really all about growing a stronger marriage when life sends its worst. And that if we can have a you, we're in this together attitude instead of each trying to do his or her own thing, it really does help. We've seen that so many times with so many couples when when a tragedy strikes or, or a hardship of some kind, um, you would think and you would hope and you would expect the couple comes together and becomes stronger, that the two are better than one. But why is it that so often a situation like that puts a wedge between the couple and there's more tension and more strife and more disagreement? What, what causes that and how can couples overcome that? Hey, Todd, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. You know, many men, especially in America, and it's probably true. Well, it is true all over the world. We have watched too many movies. We've read too many stories about the tough guy who can do it himself and can take care of life, can solve all the problems and doesn't need or doesn't have the ability to say he needs some help. And the scriptures are so full of um, that encouragement that we need other people in our lives. Our son would say today, after 21 years in prison, that one of the big big things he wasn't doing right up before the murder took place is he wasn't talking to other men and where he was expressing his feelings and his thoughts. And men are very good at that. You know, that's no excuse for us because we need to get better at expressing our emotions and our feelings. But he needed to be doing that with some other guys who could, who could uh, address the issues that, hey, you're not thinking about this correctly. These are not the only solutions to your problem. You know, and that's why God wants to bring other people in our lives because they have a different perspective on our situation. And they, they can give us some insight that we need uh, in trying to solve our problem. So this uh, staying power is talking about those str- those things that attack our marriage from the outside. Uh, Dave and Cindy Lambert are co-writers with us. It's uh, another couple up in Michigan that we've known for many years. And they've had some really difficult things happen in their marriage. We, and we just got to know them and, and we shared lots of things together. And we finally said uh, a couple years ago, we could put this all together in a book. There's lots of books that talk about, you know, husbands who who mess up, wives who mess up, you know, extramarital affairs, all kinds of things like that. But the book is basically about those things that attack our marriage from the outside of our marriage. So it may be our finances. It may be, 
you know, autistic children. It may be uh, Down syndrome, a child. It may be, you know, cancer. Just those things that hit us that we we weren't ready for, as if anybody's ready for those things. But what can unite us together as we attack this problem? I think one of the things that is my favorite chapter in the book has to do with serving while suffering. Because uh, I, I would be uh, not a truthful person if I didn't say that there aren't still days when I get pretty upset about where my son is for the rest of his life. I watched him turn from a dynamic, just barely 25-year-old into a 46-year-old man with graying hair. And I'm saying, Lord, how long, how long? This just feels, it just feels so, so long and he's repentant and he he says i made an idol out of my own ability to protect my children instead of entrusting god alone instead of teaching them to dial 911 and uh, i i need to realize that if i don't serve others while suffering i i'm going to miss what god has for me and uh, jason has a real understanding of the brevity of life he, he at one point, uh, we thought we were going to get a clemency hearing, and everything looked like it was coming together, and we had spent months gathering letters of support. And then our attorney called us, and he said, Carolyn Jean, I just got a form letter from the governor's office. It's stamped rejected. And I burst into tears. We had worked so hard, so long. I said they didn't even have time to read the letters, much less have a, a meeting of the executive team to decide this. This is a blanket rejection. And uh, Gene went to the prison early the next day because we can't initiate calls to our son. And he told him the news that uh, we were not going to get a clemency hearing. I came at noon. I was sobbing as I went through the big double doors and I fell into my son's arms and I wept into his shoulder and he had the peace of Jesus on his face. He said, mom, if we'd gotten the clemency hearing, we might've thought it was because we had the best attorney. We might've thought it was because uh, we had the favor of politicians, but the way this has happened. Uh, he said, the only way I'll ever walk in freedom is when God says I've served enough time and I can serve him better on the outside than I can on the inside. Then he paused and he said, and mom and dad, life is short like this. It's all over and we're all walking in freedom. We're all home free. It'll be soon. And I realized he was going to be okay. I want Jason's faith. Yeah. What perspective. Wow. <clears throat> That's wow. incredible. Amazing. Wow. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away by you guys. Just um, the, the, I can just see God's peace on you, mm -hmm. his grace, his mercy. Um, God is so and, good and you, <laughs> when I see you both. Yeah. And I've never had the privilege of meeting you until now. And um, I'm just honored. So thank you. Love, love your vulnerability, your honesty, your transparency, your willingness to keep learning, because the reality is we're never too old to learn something new. And it's not like there was a magic button that God put in front of you, you could press that and now it's all going to be okay. The reality is uh, life is a journey. And along this journey, we continue to have struggles, challenges, situations that, that impact us. And I love the fact that you guys wrote a book on staying power, mm -hmm. because especially in today's crazy world, there's so much coming in to try to divide a couple. And the very fabric of our nation will be built on the strength of good marriages and families. So families. bless you guys for doing that. I yes. can't wait to read it. Not that, I mean, I'm, you know, not, you know, terrible <laughs> with it, but, not that you need but, it. Yeah, but I'm sure, but I'm sure oh. there's a few things I could pick up. Everything from that book. you write <laughs> is fantastic. So um, again, thank you so much. And I think of, um, how many other Jasons that might be out there right now and how many other Carol and Jeans that might be out there. And um, just, just knowing that, that God has us all in the palm yeah. of his hands, no matter our situation and circumstance, and you guys are living it out. And I just, I just thank you for your faithfulness, your um, just your love for Christ. Yeah. Um, it, it just oozes out of you. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I do want to share with the listeners because you do have something that you want to give away. And um, it's a different book. It's He Holds My Hand, Experiencing God's Presence and Protection, which is a devotional. Is that correct? 
Yes, that's it's a 365-page devotional. And if people will text 55444 and just write giveaway in, in the message section, they will get a devotional sampler. And it will be a digital devotional sampler from He Holds My Hand, those paraphrased scriptures over your life, along with a key quote for the day and a scripture that will give them a, a takeaway that they can read in about five minutes for each of those devotions. So we hope that will be a comfort and encouragement and a faith builder. Hang on. I'm going to do mine now. Five, okay, five. five. <laughs> oh, five four, four, four. I want that free book. Right. Give it away. Yeah, yeah, See, he, right. He's like doing a share right now. Yeah. He's trained. So thank you. And I will you put guys. that in the show notes as well. So everybody can thank take advantage you. of that. And I know it will bless them immensely. So thank you for, for blessing our socks off and just, um, um, thank you for doing what you do. And mm-hmm. um, if you um, are looking to learn more about uh, their ministry, they just go just go to carolkent.com, right? Or is it .org? Carolkent.org. And we will put that in the show notes as well. So Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what they're doing. We appreciate you. Wow, huh? They are pretty spectacular. Yeah. They are still still going through it as, yeah. as you could hear. I mean, the things aren't just all of a sudden, you know, all fixed and finished up and tie a little ribbon on it. And uh, there's a nice little bow on that package. Life is a journey. And I, I just, I love the way they are able to continually have great perspective. And they're so humble. Exactly. They are. They're not taking credit for anything. Mm-hmm. And all of that again is based in the foundation of their faith. Yes. And we just want to encourage you if if that's just an area that you're just not certain about, you'd like to get started on a faith journey, um, come on over to our website and get in touch with us. And we've got some materials we could send you or or just begin to dialogue about how that can occur for you. Yeah, you can just go to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com. And we do actually have a free starter kit that you can um, download. It's about a 12-page PDF if you're looking for, what is my biggest breakthrough? What am I looking to accomplish yeah. here? might be just kind of that next thing that can um, help you figure that out. And um, we are there if you have questions or if you want to contact us, go to the mm-hmm. contact page. You might actually have a story yourself that yeah. you'd like to share that's that's a big breakthrough that would inspire and encourage others. Now, hit that little subscribe button, please. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, please. And keep the, keep the <laughs> podcast coming your way. If you can, just share it with others. And uh, your comments, your rating, and your review is awesome because that will help um, generate more exposure to the podcast. Yes. So if you like what you're hearing, go ahead and share it and do a little rating review. Yes, we appreciate you. And yeah. thank you so very much. As you know, um, we are here because stories reveal, stories mm. heal, and we hope that you are blessed with uh, this podcast. But we'll see you on the next episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we love spending time with you right here on Your Biggest Breakthrough Podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. But until then, just head on over to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com where you'll find some free resources and information and a place where you can comment and we would love to dialogue with you there. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.